Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. We are continuing our discussion about the red letters of Jesus and particularly the parables of Jesus. And at this point in time, we've looked at the the parables that are kind of lead in with uh, the kingdom of heaven is like and we've also talked about the lost parables of Jesus from Luke chapter 15 but uh, to go back to uh, the beginning of this study of parables we recall that that these parables were used to reveal spiritual truths with a physical story and they were geared towards people who had an ear to hear. Remember, Jesus would say on numerous occasions, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus used these parables to teach. And he also used parables at times to rebuke people. And as we saw in the scripture reading, Jesus' Jesus' authority was continually questioned by the Jewish leaders. They would challenge the, the Jesus on his ability to... Uh, to teach with authority. They would challenge him whenever he ran the, the money changers out of the temple. They asked him, by what authority did they do this? And in particular, we see in Matthew chapter 21, them asking him his authority to, to do the things that he's done here. And he asked them a question. He says, okay, well, let me ask you a question. If you answer my question, I'll answer your question. They asked him about the baptism of John which was a baptism that was very popular among the people. You recall when John was baptizing in the River Jordan that the whole region went out. And and it says there that all were baptized by him. Now we know that word all there is not all-inclusive because Jesus points out that the Jewish leaders were not baptized by John. And the question is put to them in such a way that they're going to have to either answer in yes, it was from God, and Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you obey then? No, it's not from God. Then they got to answer to the people, right? And so they just refused to answer. They said, we can't say. And so Jesus says, well, if you can't answer my question, I'm not going to answer your question. But Jesus doesn't stop there. This isn't, just a, this isn't just a childish response by Jesus. Jesus here is going to expose their spiritual hypocrisy. And he's going to do it, continue that, that, that theme through some parables. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at the, the aspects of these Jewish leaders, that the, the inconsistencies, and in particular the sins that they're guilty of, that Jesus is going to expose through parables. And we're going to do that in Matthew chapter 28, or 21 and 22. So if you want to open your Bibles up there to Matthew 21, we're going to look at three aspects. Uh, and they're kind of a, they're, they're almost in sequential order or in progressive order, you might say, of what these Jewish leaders were guilty of. And the first one <coughs> is the parable of the two sons. Now, this is a very simple parable. Verse 28, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. Now, this is, again, a parable is a situation that would and could happen in real life. And Jesus is helping them understand this situation that you all might be faced with, Jewish leaders. You go to your two sons and you say, sons, I want you to work today in my vineyard. Now, I want you to put a stick pin in your your brain there. Remember, in my vineyard. Who owns the vineyard? The father, 
right? It's the Father's vineyard. We're going to come back to that in a future parable. But I want you to remember, first off, he goes to the sons and he says, I want you to go work in my vineyard today. He gives them a command. Now, what does obedience look like? What does obedience look like? Jesus is going to give us a picture of obedience here. And it's going to be so clear that these Jewish leaders can't deny it. They're going to answer the question correctly because it's so simple. The first one says, I will, I will not, verse 29, but afterward he regretted it and went. So you've got one son. The first son that's told to go, he says, I'm not going to do it. Right? He rebels against the father. Anybody ever rebelled against their parents? Mom and dad says, go clean your room. I'm not going to do that. Sometimes we regret that, right? Sometimes we repent of that. We rebel, then we regret, and we repent. And that's what the son does. He says, I will not go. But then he turns, his heart changes, his mind changes. And he goes and he does the father's will. He is obedient. That's what obedience is looks like. It's not simply the fact that he says, I will not go, but it's what he does in compliance to the will of the Father and to the command of the Father. Then he came to the second son, likewise, verse 30, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. The second son says, I'll go work in your garden. I'll go work in your vineyard, excuse me. But then he never shows up. You see this young man here. He he agrees, but then he absconds. Then he flees away, right? He, he never shows up to do the work. And so Jesus asked the question, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, now this is the Jewish leaders. I want you to get this. This is how simple this parable is. The first. Jesus is trying to help them understand what obedience looks like. When God says, go work in my vineyard, it's not just how you answer, but it's what you do that makes a difference. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. <clears throat> that's, a pretty, that's, a, that's a pretty stinging rebuke, isn't it? These Jewish leaders had that set in their minds that they were first in the kingdom. It's almost as if the kingdom was built for them, built around them. And Jesus says here that the tax collectors and harlots are going to enter the kingdom before you do. Why? For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Not only did they not believe John, because they had built up their own self-righteousness in their minds. They believed that God owed it to them to bring them into the kingdom. And when John preached this doctrine of, of baptism, of, for the repent, of repentance for the remission of sins, we don't need that. What do we have to repent of? What do we have to turn away from? God's already marked our ticket into the kingdom. The tax collectors and harlots, they were the ones who... You know, initially rebelled against the Father, but now they're coming back. They're relenting. They're repenting. They're coming back to, to the Father, and they're coming through baptism. And he says, when you saw that, you still didn't relent. You still didn't believe. 
Jesus here is showing them that they have a disrespect and a disregard for their Father and His commands. And this is a this is a problem for these the uh, these Jewish leaders. You know, we could go over to Luke chapter 18, and you read over in Luke 18 verses 9 through 14 the par- the story, the parable Jesus gives of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We won't t- take time to do that for just for the sake of time this morning. But it's the same principle, right? It's the same principle of self-righteousness that's disrespectful to the Father. The Pharisee says, God, you're lucky to have me. I'm not like the tax collector over here. I do everything the right way at the right time. And aren't you blessed to have me? And you've got the tax collector over by himself. He won't even look up to heaven, but he's beating his breast, saying, forgive me, Father, for I'm a sinner. These are the type of parables that Jesus is going to use to expose the self-righteousness of these of these Jewish leaders. But that's not the end of it. Jesus just doesn't stop there with these parables. Look at the next parable, verse 33 of Matthew 21. The parable of the wicked vine dresser. He says, hear another parable. Now, I like this because Jesus is telling them right up front, this is a parable. I want you to get the spiritual truth that comes out of this. And they're going to get it. They're going to get it very clearly. There's a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. So pause just for a second here. Again, we have a landowner. He builds a vineyard. I think it's interesting that Jesus uses the theme of the vineyard here in two successive parables. He builds a vineyard, but notice what else he does. He sets a hedge around it, right? What does that do? He's protecting the vineyard. He builds a tower, further protection of the vineyard, right? But he also does something else. He puts a wine press in it. What does that mean? He's expecting to get fruit out of his vineyard. This isn't a vineyard that he's just going to walk through and enjoy the beauty of it. He's expecting fruit from the vineyard. There's an expectation here. And then he leased it to vine dressers. Again, remember, this is the landowner's vineyard. It doesn't belong to the sons. It doesn't belong to the vine dressers. It belongs to the father. It belongs to the, the landowner here. He leases it to vine dressers. You know what that is? That's a contract. Anybody ever been in a contract before? You bought a vehicle or bought a home, and there are responsibilities that go with the contract. You do certain things, and the person who is uh, the, the other party has to do certain things. And when you do those two things, then the contract is in, is, is in good standing. But at some point in time, somebody might try to avoid the contract. They might try to to uh, abridge the contract or to overturn the contract. And that's what we're going to see here with these people. These people had, these Jewish leaders had a covenant with God. And they weren't living up to the covenant. They weren't honoring the responsibilities that God had given them. And in particular, as being the, the, the leaders of Israel, as being the priests of Israel, as being the ones who are responsible for shepherding the flock and for feeding the flock, they weren't doing that. They weren't bringing forth the fruit that God had entrusted them with. The landowner goes into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruits. There's an expectation that the vineyard is going to produce some fruit and that the landowner is going to be the beneficiary of it. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. 
So you've got this, this owner who's sending his servants there to get the fruit, and the vine dressers are treating them shamefully. They're abusing them, and, and even to the extent of killing some of them. Now at this point in time, we can, we can see with, with, again, 2020 vision, looking back in the mirror, we know what this parable is about, right? Do you think these, these scribes and Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, as they're sitting there listening to this parable, do you think they're starting to put two and two together? Do servants sound a little bit like prophets? Anyway, now the landowner has a choice to make. Last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. I love the way Mark and Luke both tell this. They use the word only beloved son. You know, that's the term that's used to, that God refers to Jesus by. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus uses that exact same phrase to refer to the son in this parable. The landlord says, I'm going to send my only son, my beloved son, to them. And they'll respect him. What do they do? When the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They're not just killing him for the sake of killing him. They're killing him so that they can take ownership of the vineyard. They think the vineyard belongs to them. How arrogant is that? That's what these vine dressers are doing. They're going to kill the son so that they can take the vineyard. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? And notice who answers the question here. These are the same Jewish leaders that said the first, right? They got the first parable. They're going to get the second parable. Listen to what they say. He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. You think they got this parable? I'll say this. They understood the physical aspects of the story. They knew what they would do if they were the landowner, right? They could put themselves in the position of the landowner. But if you think they thought they were that Jesus was talking about them, I don't think they got that. Because they said he's going to just he would just wipe them out, destroy them miserably, right? Take them out of the way, lease their vineyard to other vine dressers, and they're going to render the fruit in its season. And this is what Jesus says. Have you never read the scriptures? Just pause and think about that for a second. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to tax collectors and harlots and sinners who probably don't have a, a scroll to look at? He's talking to the scribes who are responsible for writing the law. He's talking to the Pharisees who are responsible for teaching the law. He's talking to these Jewish leaders who are responsible Two and four, the law. These are the vine dressers from the story. He says, have you never read the scriptures? Did this passage never ring true to you as you're thinking about what you're doing? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. 
Whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. These people were covenant breakers. They were people who had no respect for the covenant of God and for their responsibility in shepherding the flock, or in this situation, in tending the vine and helping the vine to be fruitful and harvesting the fruit and delivering the fruit to the landowner. And what they had done was to follow the traditions of their fathers, the vine dressers that came before them. When the prophets came to speak to them, what they do? They mocked them. They belittled them. They shamed them. And some of them they killed. And you remember, if you, if you think about the progression that's going on here, this is Matthew chapter 21. We're going to move into Matthew 22 in just a second. We're going to look at another parable. We're moving towards Matthew 23. And if you can remember anything about Matthew 23, I want you to remember this phrase. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What was one of the things the scribes and Pharisees did? Jesus says, you build the, the tombs of the prophets and you say, if we were with our fathers in those days, we would listen to the prophets. He says, and even building those tombs, you are, you, are, you are testifying to yourself that you are sons of those men who put the prophets to death. Jesus here just keeps piling on. Now notice here, we went from, in, in progression, we went from a son disobeying his father, right? And that, that disobedience results in the punishment. It could have been a whipping. It could have been something that was that was uh, you know, a corporal punishment of some type. But now we've moved into people who are covenant breakers. What's their punishment? Destroy them miserably. You see the progression that's going on here. You see people who are, are progressing in their sins, and they're not content just to stop at one. They're going to continually progress, and you see the, the punishment that's coming is continually progressing. But the last one we're going to see is a rejection of the king and his son. And this is the parable of the wedding feast. Before we get there, I don't want to, I don't want to leave this out. Verse 45, now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They finally got clued in, right? Jesus is talking about us. They sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So right now they're starting to develop this hatred of Jesus. You've taught us the truth, and we're going to hate you for it. You ever seen that happen before? Remember even Paul would say, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Sometimes when people are exposed to the truth, it hurts them, and the response is not to repent, but it's to lash out. That's what these Jewish leaders are going to do here. But Jesus isn't done. Look at, verse, look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 22. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. He's going to continue to rebuke them. This one's interesting because he starts off with a phrase that we used a couple weeks ago. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now when, we, when you read that, what do you think about? Jesus is going to give us some characteristics of the kingdom. And so we need to pay attention, not that we don't need to pay attention to all the other parables of Jesus, but we need to pay attention thinking about aspects of the kingdom that we want to either emulate, live out in our lives, or we want to avoid in this particular situation. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a king, certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. He's going to set up this very special occasion. Now remember, keep in your mind, this is the king, right? He's the ruler. He's the one in charge. He's the one that has authority. If we're talking about a vineyard in this parable, this would be the one who owns the vineyard. But now he's going to bring in his son again, and he's going to arrange a marriage for his son. If you ever watched any Disney movies or any movies about the old times about kingdoms, when a son or a daughter of the king got married, that's a big deal. Everybody comes together, and there's generally a feast, and there's a celebration. And he's going he's to set this up. He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. So they're getting ready, and they were not willing to come. They said, no, nah, I'm not interested. We'll find out a little bit later that they've got some excuses. But right now they just said, nah, I don't think so. The, the initial invitation comes, and they said, oh, we got something going on. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things ready. Come to the wedding. Man, I don't know about you, but if I got that invitation, I'd be there. That sounds good, doesn't it? This is the second invitation. This isn't just the first one. This is the second invitation that he sent out. I want you to come to the wedding. You know what that tells me? They had multiple opportunities to come to the wedding. And they refused. But they made light of it and went their own ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. I want you to hold your fingers here and I want you to go with me over to Luke. I want you to, I want you to hear the, the reasons. Luke gives a little more detail here in this parable. Jesus sets this up here as a man giving a great supper for uh, the invited. He sends out the invitation. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Verse 18 of Luke 14. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many, this, this does happen. I know this to be the case. But how many times have you bought a piece of property or house sight unseen? How often does that happen? Even if you can't go there, you typically go get somebody to look at it, right? You get some report back of it. But this man says, I bought a piece of ground, and I've got to go see it. You see the man making excuses for why he can't come to the feast. Listen to the next one. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excuse. Now, this, this to me almost sounds even more ludicrous. Many times you bought a car and then take it on a test drive first. At least take it to your mechanic to get it checked out. This man bought five yoke of oxen, and he didn't think it work. It, it it mattered to put. Now I'll just tell you what I think is going on here. It's my own personal opinion. I think they're just looking for excuses. And you know what? When you're looking for excuses, any excuse is good as the next. But that's what they're doing. 
the last guy probably has maybe the best excuse, but he says, I just got married, I just got a wife, and I can't come. But you see these men continually giving excuses for why they can't come to the wedding. They've got something better to do. They've got someplace better to be. They've got something else that's distracting them. And so we go back to Matthew 22. We've got these people who made light of the invitation. They went their own way. One went to his farm, another to his business. We just read that. But look at verse 6. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. That's a reoccurring theme, isn't it? <laughs> they take the servants who come and invited them to the wedding feast, and they say, you know what? We're just going to we're gonna treat you spitefully. We're going to shave your beard off. We're going to rip your clothes up. And some of you we're going to kill just because you came and invited us to the wedding feast. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. We've gone from just disobedient to the father, to covenant breakers, to now those who will refuse the direction of the king. They only, not only do, not, do they not honor the authority and the benevolence of the king, but they don't honor the son. And whenever the servants are sent out to offer invitation to come to the wedding, they kill them. And what's the man do? He goes out, he destroys, he sends his armies. He destroys them, he burns their city, and sweeps clean. See the progression here? Of this punishment that's taking place. That's not, where the, that's not where this parable ends. This one's interesting because it continues on. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. You go over to Luke, and he reads, In the highways and the hedges. I love that because you can think about the little the kid, the, little, the song that the little kids sing, In the highways and the hedges. They go out and they gather up the highways and hedges people. They go get these people who, were, who, who might be overlooked in a situation like this, and they bring them to the wedding feast. And the wedding hall was filled with guests because they went out and they gathered them together, both bad and good. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? You notice that even in, even in the gathering up of those who were from the highways and hedges, there were going to be some who were going to be bad and some were going to be good. Some of them were going to come in prepared and some of them were not going to be prepared. They weren't going to have wedding garments. And so even though they had been allowed to get into the, the wedding feast, they weren't going to be allowed to, be, to stay if they weren't prepared. The king says to the man, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was... Speechless. He didn't have an answer. King said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Even though this man got into the feast, even though he got into the to the hall, he wasn't allowed to stay because he wasn't prepared. He didn't wear his wedding garments. Now 
we see Jesus here wrestling with these Jewish leaders. They're questioning his authority. And he's revealing the true nature of their spirit, of their heart. They're disobedient and disrespectful to the Father. They're covenant breakers. And they are willfully and, and blatantly disrespectful and rejecting the invitation of the king to come into the wedding feast. These were people who in their own minds were going to be the first to sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to enjoy food together in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you're not coming in because you've counted yourself unworthy. And even if you get in, if you don't have your wedding garments, if you don't have your heart prepared, if you're not ready to be a part of the kingdom, you're going to be cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. These people were defiantly rebellious. And they were willing to count themselves unworthy. And yet they couldn't see it. Jesus gives them these parables. They answer the questions that Jesus asked correctly. And yet they still can't see that it's about them. Jesus ends his parables with these sayings. For many are called, but few are chosen. That's important for us to remember today. How are we called? How are we called to the wedding feast today? The Bible tells us that we're called through the gospel. That we've been called to be a part of the kingdom through the good news of the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, many are called. In fact, God's will is that everybody be called. You remember, Jesus gave that commission to his apostles. He told them that they were to take the, the gospel and they were to preach to all nations. Thus it is written, Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins be preached in his name to all nations. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he would say, preach the gospel to all creatures. Many are called, but unfortunately, few are chosen. Few choose to accept the gospel. Some will willingly reject it. They'll be like these Jewish leaders that when they're called, they'll say, you know, I've got no, I've got excuses. I just bought a piece of ground. I got to go see it. How many people will give up on the kingdom because of material things? I just got a bass boat and I got to put it to work. I just bought, I just did, I just found, I just whatever. And I'm going to give up on the kingdom because of it. How many people give up on the kingdom because of relationships? I just got married, and I can't come to the feast. People choose, and sometimes, and oftentimes, they choose poorly. Many are called, but few are chosen. You know, this would, as I said before, this is the beginning really kind of the beginning of the end of the story of Jesus' life because it, as we go on into Matthew 22, they're going to come to test Jesus. They're going to bring questions to try to trip him up in his words. Jesus isn't going to be tripped up. This isn't even going to be a hard exercise for Jesus. 
Matthew chapter 23, he's going to give them the woes. And he's going to show them their spiritual hypocrisy. Matthew 24, he's going to predict the destruction of the temple and the end of the age. And next week we're going to get into some parables of Jesus predicting the, his second coming. And I'll just tell you the theme for next week's lesson, watch. Be ready. So you know not the hour when the Son of Man comes. That doesn't relieve you from coming back at the end of the lesson. But I want, that, that's, that's the parable that we're going to be talking about. Is there anybody here who's not ready for the kingdom? Is you're not a part of the kingdom? You haven't put on Christ in baptism. If we can help you to do that, we want to encourage you. If uh, if you're struggling with sin, maybe you've gotten into the wedding feast, but your clothes aren't what they need to be. We can help you with that too. Repentance. It's easy to say. It's awful hard to do sometimes. But it's important, and it's, it's a prerequisite to go to heaven. We're going to sing an invitation song. We want to encourage you if you have a need to make it known. Please don't hesitate. Today's the day. Now's the time to be a part of the kingdom. These Jewish leaders, they rejected Jesus. And they were going to be punished miserably, not just in the, in, in the time between when they died and now, but throughout eternity. Someday they're going to stand before the throne of Jesus and they're going to see the one whose side they pierced. Man, I would hate to be those folks but I would hate to be a person today who rejects the gospel of Jesus don't do that if you have a need please come and please stand and thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's word for more information about our church family please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page we hope to see you soon till then let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven we hope you have a good day